From Los Angeles, California, this is Burncast and I'm the bomb. Happy Tutu Tuesday and welcome to the show. In today's episode, we speak to Sean O'Donohue, also known simply as Shano, about his latest installation, Green Shoes, coming to Black Rock City in 2007. But first, as always, the Burncast Community Bulletin Board. First up, I just want to remind all our listeners that Burncast was created to give voice to the community of Black Rock City. So the first item on the Burncast Community Bulletin Board is a guest commentary from longtime Piss Clear columnist Maldoror in response to an article about Burning Man in the July edition of the online magazine Business 2.0. This article, entitled Burning Man Grows Up, stirred up quite a controversy last week on the Burning Man tribe at tribe.net and on blogs as well. I've weighed in on this issue in my blog, and that's where my opinion will stay. For the time being, I prefer to avoid using Burncast to push my personal opinion about the event or the Black Rock City LLC, but instead clear the air for you, you the community, yes you, to participate in the dialogue here on Burncast. If you're interested in getting my take, just click on the Burncast MySpace blog. But for now, let's listen to Maldoror's rant. Good afternoon and a big hello to the Black Rock City community. By now, most of you have probably read the article in Business 2.0 about how Burning Man, for the first time, has invited corporations to display their wares out on the playa. If you haven't read it, it's the July 2007 edition, and it is available online. Basically, the gist of it is, Burning Man has opened the door for a whole bunch of Earth-friendly, green businesses to come out and show off their wares to the residents of Black Rock City. And a lot of these businesses are jumping at the chance, as the citizens of Black Rock City are pretty much a demographic wet dream. The BRC community is educated, engaged, and obviously has a ton of disposable income. I read this article and I have to say, I was pretty pissed off. Larry Harvey and Maid Marian appear to be selling us out, and yet, there may be a little more to it. It doesn't seem as though they're accepting corporate sponsorship, for now at least, and they still aren't allowing any marketing whatsoever. So these companies can't sell anything, or give demonstrations, or even display their logos or marketing materials. So, like, it's the same as it always is, right? I don't know about you, but I figure I'm probably going to stumble straight past an unmarked exhibit on solar-powered recycled compost butt plugs and not even notice that I missed it. As a random aside, if you were around from 1997 to 2001 or so, you might remember that a whole bunch of dot-coms had company bonding trips out to the burn. They kept a low profile, but there were a lot of them. So, you know, silent but deadly corporations have always been floating around the place. The part I find most sinister in the article is Maid Marian's closing remark that Burning Man can continue without Larry Harvey. I've always been very impressed by Larry Harvey when I've seen him speak. I don't want to sound like a member of his cult, but without his 60s hate street values influencing the way things have developed, Burning Man would not be what it is. It would have sold out a long time ago without his counter-cultural upbringing. So her suggestion that it could live on without him, quote, as long as the LLC exists, unquote, sounds like somebody waiting for their family figurehead to kick the bucket so she can start cashing those inheritance checks. Anyway, my biggest concern is that they're letting corporations come in this time because the theme is the green man. You know, so they're letting all these alternative energy folks come and display their goods. We're all presumably in agreement that saving the earth is a good idea, right? So, like, who would possibly eject to some mom-and-pop company displaying their wind-powered butt wiper? You know, that runs on human methane and recycled inner tubes. Great, fine, bring them on. 
But what will the excuse be next year when they want to invite corporate participation again? Is this a one-off thing, or will the next theme be something like, I don't know, the great mini-malls of our time, or the age of consumerism, or welcome to flavor country? Where does it end? Will the corporations ruin Burning Man this year? I rather trust that they will not. I hope it doesn't become a yearly thing or anything, but... I mean, why do I keep coming to Burning Man? To have my expectations challenged, to think about things differently, and to recharge my admittedly feeble reserves of positivity and goodwill towards my fellow man. There may be some CEO venture capital types that come to Burning Man and decide that there's a different way of doing business, a less intrusive, less marketing-driven way of doing things. Who knows? Maybe Burning Man will influence the corporations more than they influence us. But, you know, who really gives a fuck? Anyway, this has been your 5 Minutes with Maldoror. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all on the playa. And now, back to the bomb. Thanks, Maldoror. To read the article, Burning Man Grows Up in Business 2.0, just click on our show notes at burncast.net. And again, I'd like to invite other members of the community to weigh in on this issue and make your voice heard by calling the Burdencast hotline at 206-350-1416 or by clicking the MyChingo audio recorder at our website. Okay, that about wraps things up for the Burncast Community Bulletin Board. I'd like to take a moment to remind folks that Burncast is an independent podcast, and that means that we rely on the support of our listeners to help with our productions. This podcast, as you know, is entirely free to download, but it isn't free to produce. So if you can help us out, if you enjoy listening, you should know that it is my goal to continue offering this for free, but not take a bath on it. So if you can, please pitch in even just a little bit. This would be such a tremendous help. In fact, if everybody who downloaded this show just pitched in one dollar, one single dollar for every download we get in one single month... I would cease to ask for support for another year. Last week, if you recall, Burncast offered a copy of DNT Lab's premier DVD, Experiment One, as an incentive to contribute. And yet, a week later, it still sits there in its shrink wrap, waiting to be snapped up. So the place to go to help us out is the Burncast website, burncast.net, and click on the support tab. And if the thought of donating cash goes against what you feel is the Burning Man ethos, you'll find at least a dozen ways to help support Burncast that doesn't cost more than a few minutes of your time. Okay, so thanks, and let's move on with today's episode. Sean O'Donohue, also known as Shano, is an award-winning designer, illustrator, and photographer who received a grant from the Burning Man organization for an art project entitled Green Shoes that will be installed in Black Rock City for 2007. The first incarnation of this project was in 2004 and was originally entitled The Green Dot. It even came to Burning Man for the first time in 2005. Then, through different installations in different cities, including San Francisco, Paris, Portland, and most recently New Orleans, it has evolved into its current iteration as Green Shoes. In this interview, you'll hear how Shano first conceived of the project, a bit about how it evolved through the past four years, and also learn about the philosophy behind it. You'll also hear how he arrived at the specific shade of green to be used in this project, and to help understand it, to visualize it, I've embedded an image of the color chart in this podcast when it comes up in our discussion. So if you're listening to this podcast in iTunes or QuickTime, take a peek at the screen and you'll see what we're talking about. 
Shano lives in San Francisco with his lovely fiancée, Simone, and together the couple recently drove down to Southern California on a mission to collect supplies for the project. It was during this time that Shano and Simone were able to visit with me at my home in Los Angeles to make this recording. So my guest today is Sean O'Donohue. Shano. Shano. You want to go by Shano? Okay. And your art project is? Green Shoes. So what is this project? Let's see. What can I say? Ask me a question. To... <laughs> okay. Well, let's start with how long you've been going to Burning Man. About five years. Okay. This will probably be the sixth year. And what got you into Burning Man? How did you get started? I went with a bunch of people who were setting up a fantastic camp called B-Hop, where we served pancakes to everybody. And it was the most incredible thing to go and... Uh, offer pancake breakfast to everyone who'd been out all night. It was a really sweet way to come in. We were right on center camp that first year. No shit. All the freaks rolling in every morning for pancakes and eggs. And it was just really cool, you know. And so did you flip uh, flapjacks? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. And then um, you've been coming for five years. What kind of changes Mm -hmm. have you seen in the past five years? Hard to say. You know, one of the first things that comes to mind is that... uh, the last year, I took a bit of a break for a few years, and then I came back. What was your first year? Uh, it was 98. And, uh, you know, the rows and rows of RVs really struck me. The people they were sort of cordoning off their own campsites into these little walled cities, these little palaces for their group. It just seems like there was a lot less of that. It was a lot more sort of traipsing through, um, even in 98, which must have been more closed than before. But then that was the year there were still people driving on the playa, and there was still a lot of stuff going on, I think. In 98? Weren't there people driving on the playa? It was just the year before it had been stopped. But um, So you took how many years off before you came back? Gosh, well, I must have gone for about like three years in relative succession and then came back for 2005. Okay. So, What inspires you about Burning Man? What brings you back? You know, it's always been... Every single time has been a sort of a confluence of events. It's, I never bought a ticket before, well, one was sort of ponied up by somebody and I'd pay them for it. But at the last minute, someone would have one. They'd say, hey, you know, do you want to come? We're doing this camp, you know, and I got this ticket. And I, if the mood struck, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that, that sounds good. And sometimes I wouldn't want to. But it was always this a, a kind of a chance, non-planned, feels good kind of moment yeah sure let's head out let's do it and now this will be the first year where you really are instigating and planning on going because of this art project exactly exactly but this art project actually has been to burning man before is that correct correct would you take us through the genesis of this project and take us up to its first incarnation at burning man yeah from the very beginning yeah please uh what it started it started with a green dot it started with sketches it began as i think just mulling over what's a what's a presence what's uh what is it to have presence and to to make to have attention for something you know it comes into not really an installation or anything like that It was more just drawings or sketches as a designer i found myself really being drawn to dots a lot other people would always mention there were always dots in my in fact it's on your website what what? dots the dots oh yeah yeah yeah, exactly so there are dots on my website i don't know i just was really into it i started sketching them and sketching them just making like a one-page sketch with just a big dot on it and then made a big oil painting of one and just kept uh making dots and i started to think about what was the expression about 
And I realized that if it's about presence, if it's about saying, you know, I'm thinking here, I'm doing this here. It wasn't really like, it sounds like it's a very centering kind of exercise. It wasn't so much. It was more just kind of, gosh, I don't even know how to say it. It's more of an impulse. And then I started to think about what different colors the dots might have. I started to think that uh, green was, um, well, I've always been a fan of green, and I just thought that it was a good external intention, that an intention of red or of orange or of purple have different intentions attached it to them. signifies different they meanings. They signify something different. And so I found myself drawn to green, uh, making green dots, because I decided that it would be really fun to do a piece, this thing had been mulling on my head, it would be really fun to do a piece that was about giving attention, having attention to give. And so I thought, well, green would be good because it's kind of a growth intention. Mm -hmm. So why not do that? That was, what would it have been? It was five years ago or so. And then I mulled around with that for a while and started thinking about it. I thought, oh, you know, I'd like to make a big, I'd like to put a green dot on the White House lawn or I'd like to put <laughs> a big green dot in Red Square. Just things like that. And then I realized a friend of mine had cancer. His name was Luigi. Yeah. And he was my next door neighbor, and he was battling. He was in chemo for like four different cycles, really doing really badly. And I thought, wow, that'd be a great plot place to put a dot, you know, on Luigi's door, in front of his door. I said, Luigi, one day I said, I've been planning these green dots, thinking about positive intention. I think I'd like to put one. Could I, could I paint one in front of your door? And he said, yeah. Could you just paint it right on the door? Paint it as big as you want. Why don't you use both doors? Paint it right over both doors. And he was so into it. I felt like he'd been struggling for years with his chemotherapy. And I felt like, wow. Did you have to explain what the green dot meant? Or He's an artist, and I think he got it intuitively. He, uh -huh. he liked everything about it. He liked the presence of it. He liked the, 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 the chalk circle around it and then uh -huh. filling it in. So I invited other people in our complex in our warehouse complex to come and help paint this dot for Luigi and some people showed up it was about maybe eight of us one day and we just got together and we painted the dot on his door and it was funny because he chose not to be there he chose to not I said would you like to be there would you like to see it so he said I don't think so I'd like to just see it once it's there and so he didn't come to watch it but he was really thankful about it being there I think it meant a lot to him to have the action done for him mm -hmm. by us. A gift, yeah. Yeah. And it was really sweet. I should say that we were, before painting the dot, we, went, we had a lot of discussion amongst friends, uh, specifically two guys named Mike and Ken on separate occasions talking about sort of the shades of green and what, sh what green says about your intentions. Yeah. What... In fact, you have that on your um, PDF file, which I'm thumbing through as we're having this interview. Mm -hmm. You talk about the different types of green. Mm -hmm. When you got to green and you yeah. decided green was a color, were you thinking greening an environment? What were you no. thinking? What were you thinking? No, not at all. That's The guys I was talking with are not some sort of hardened environmentalists, right? They're more... Um, are you philosophical about the symbols of green? The symbolism of green. Okay. It was more talking about what's the symbol of the dot and what's the symbol of green. And it wasn't an immediately, uh, immediately going to a place of like, Here it is. oh, this is the eco-movement. This is harmony. This is um, nature is beautiful and pristine and primeval and wonderful and humans are somehow... Uh, evil actors taking away, you know, nature's purity. 
And you know, it was really important to Mike and Ken and I, I think we all shared the idea of like, well, it doesn't mean to say we're not environmentalists or we're not interested in that. We're totally interested in that. Uh -huh. But we felt like it's not what this is. It's not what we're saying. We're not saying, you know, up with trees <laughs> and down with people or anything like that. We weren't saying, you know, rally behind the trees. We were trying to acknowledge human presence and say, and acknowledge the presence of ego even, and acknowledge the presence of choice, the, acknowledge the presence of action. So you're trying to communicate all of this through a shade through of green. Through a shade of green. We, we thought if we can, can hone it down so we get the right shade, when people see it, they'll know we're not talking about the military, we're not talking about trees and all the or leprechauns or leprechauns or all the baggage of the environmental movement and Earth First and uh, and Greenpeace. Not that it's all not valid and wonderful, but that's not our dialogue. We have a different dialogue, and if we choose our shade right, we'll just sidestep all of that stuff and we'll immediately be on the page that we wish. Which is, uh, Mike actually came up with this. Mike Conkey came up with this chart that he sent to me one day after we talked, and it was so beautiful. These four shades, electric artificial being something that sort of implies uh, civilization and the electricity of all that, but it, what it does is it, it stands out so far beyond the environment. If you were to paint electric artificial in a natural environment, it would be so striking. It's more like a it stands out. It calls so much like attention to itself. toxic waste green or something? It's toxic waste, but it's not even not even necessarily that far. It's also just saying, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And you almost don't see the environment around it because it's so loud saying, I'm here, look at me, look at me. And then there's something like like natural, neutral, natural. Green. We're talking about shades of green here. Shades of green that so goes so far into the natural process. Again, very beautiful green. But it's almost fits in. You wouldn't even notice it, maybe. You'd say, oh, it's green. It's right there amongst the other greens of the forest. And you wouldn't see the human action, sort of the antithesis of the, of the electric artificial, where it's, it's one is standing out so much, calling attention, you don't see the environment. And one is so environmental, you don't see the presence of the action. And this neutral, natural, is, is it like camouflage then? Or is that still speaking of military? This subtle natural? Okay. Yeah, I think, you know, I forget the exact, uh, what did I put here? Subtle natural. Here, let me I'll just read what this what, what uh, I can't remember where this came from. This was from Mike, Mike's words or mine, but it was subtle natural, distance, need to inquire, electric artificial, ego dominance, electric natural, attention to process, neutral natural, eco forest. So somewhere between these four shades of green, you selected your green? So we chose electric natural because Why? we wanted it to be the electricity of human presence, the electricity of spirit, the electricity of mind, of choice, all of that. But natural, meaning that it can, it can fit in. It acknowledges its, 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 its presence in the environment calling attention to what you've done specifically as an individual or as a group, but it's within an environment. It's a choice that recognizes its environment. That was our goal. Okay, so you put, wait, what shade of green did you put up? The Electric natural. Electric and you put that on Luigi's door. Yeah. And then in every reincarnation of this green dot, it's been yeah. this electric. We try to use electric natural <laughs> because we want, we, we, we want someone to come by and say, hey, someone chose to do this. This is someone's action. Mm-hmm. 
This isn't something else. This is an action. But, yeah, something that just has within it a tone that says it's about whatever. It's about its environment as well. So, so this first incarnation of this project was a gift for Luigi. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? Yeah. What happened was an amazing thing because there was, first of all, there was Luigi's gratitude. There was uh, people of the community wanting to do it Drink. for him. <laughs> people of the community what um, really responded and came forward it was funny because I've always thought that, that installation art was really powerful because it treats the whole world as its, as its environment it treats the whole world as its gallery space mm-hmm, it treats the mm-hmm. whole world as its subject matter and its place of being right? it creates a space within the world itself it doesn't say I exist within uh, another space, within a, uh, some space apart. So I really felt that happened really quickly because Luigi's gratitude for it was really heartfelt. And then other people in the community started... Drink. Oh my gosh. <laughs> other people started to give gifts. And Luigi got some gifts from other people. They would leave little green dots on his door. Or someone <laughs> gave him some green tea and they painted a green dot over the label. And... I thought, wow, it's good. It's very quickly percolating to something that somebody wants to give him. It's matched the intention that someone else intuitively has felt as a healing, good intention to have for somebody who needs help. Uh-huh. They've intuitively just said, I'm going to use that symbolism for my symbolism as I give this gift that means, you know, all the best. That I'm thinking about you. And I thought, that is sweet. That's right on. Really and then Luigi gave some gifts back that were, had green dots on them. And uh, I was just really pleased. Being pleased, and I thought, what a wonderful position to be in, to have an art piece that you can offer, that has that intention, and that people can perceive the intention, and use the intention. And participate. And participate in the yeah. intention, really quickly, without a lot of words. Because I didn't say as much as I said to you. I didn't say that to these people. Mm-hmm. I just said, we're going to paint a dot on Luigi's door. You want to help? I said, yeah. So I mixed the paint, we painted it. It's but almost like a pink ribbon or something. Kind of. Yeah, very quickly. I think it's just a symbol that I found like, okay, okay. Uh, I see that it's, 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 it seems to be working correctly. So I thought, what a beautiful position to be in, to have something, to have a symbol that you can put around, you can put out as an intention for somebody or someplace, have a kind of immediacy of acceptance. It's like circles. I don't think anyone looks at a circle and says, hmm, how how do I say? I think it's kind of understood what's being said. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of symbology culturally to a a circle, to a history of many, many, many cultures. It says a circle is what? It's the circle of life. It's the sphere of of influence. It's the... And for me, I think as 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 a... as an artist, I think there's something about the just complete streamlined nature of a circle that was really powerful to want to work with. And given its simplicity, its supposed simplicity, yeah, it was really attractive. So then uh, what happened after the green dot on Luigi's door? Then what happened? Then other people who had difficulties, I painted some for other people. They, they just appeared around, mostly just really close um, people that were close to me, people that I've known. Uh, but didn't you take the green dot to Burning Man? Yeah. Okay. I had this problem. I did a good dot. I did one in Paris, 
And oh, I yeah. had only been painting them. And a friend of mine who's had AIDS for a long time invited me to go to Paris with him because he'd never been. Mm-hmm. And I happened to have been in Paris a bit so I could find my way around and I speak French and such. So he said, will you come and help me see Paris? I want, essentially, I want to see Paris before I die. Um, I've never been there. He's a world traveler. He loves the mm-hmm. world and world culture and everything. He said, I really want to see Paris, so will you come with me? And I said, yeah. And then I thought, once I was in Paris, I realized, oh, my God, he needs a dot. And he needs a dot in Paris. <laughs> right? <laughs> he needs a dot. I'd been doing these. A few for people, I said, Chick needs a dot. And this is the place. So I went out. I scoped out this spot down on, by the river, by the Seine. And went, I went all around looking for the kind of paint that I needed and such. And I found a place on one of the little islands right near the Eiffel Tower. And one night around four o'clock in the morning, I ran out and painted his dot. Yeah, it was on this little island. It's, it's, it's right by, um, oh, what's the street there? It's in the 16th arrondissement. And, uh, and then the next morning, I took him out to see it in his wheelchair. We went down and we saw the dot. And I took his pictures with his How dot. How big was it? It was big. It was, I mean, not super big, not as big as they've been now, but maybe 20 feet across or so. So 15 you, you feet tagged across. a dot on a Parisian street? Totally did, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's totally legal. The, in- the interesting thing was I was looking everywhere for tempera paint, everywhere <laughs> for water-based paint. I speak really good French, right? I could yeah. not find it. I went to art stores and appliance, and applied with the uh, paint stores and all kinds of places. They did not have water-based paint. They always hand me stuff that's like acrylic. You can thin with water, but it's not like a temporary water-based paint. So in my frustration, I just said, well, here you go, Paris. (laughs) (laughs) You asked for it. (laughs) Right on. Okay. And and how did your friend respond to that? You know, he really liked it. I think it was the same kind of thing where it's just when you see someone do an action for you, it's meaningful. I felt like, I felt really powerful to say, wow, I've got this dot that I can just give to people. Just to say I'm thinking about them. Just to say, hey, you know, maybe you can't wish someone well even. Because I know that he, the intention is not really to wish him well, you know, per se. It's, it's to wish him strength. It's to wish him presence of mind. It's to, it's to wish him goodness. That kind of stuff. I went down there later one night. One night I was out and I came back, I was coming toward home and there were some people dancing on the dot. <laughs> and the picture on the website is actually these people, these four people who were having a little party and they were dancing on the dot. And I went home, I said, Chuck, there are people out there dancing on, on your dot. And he was so thrilled. He's like, <laughs> he just said, to me, it was so lifeful. It was so lifeful. It was mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's my dot and they're dancing and we're in Paris. And it was just a kind of a, just a beautiful moment. Of a, a gift to give to somebody. A la- I felt like it was a lasting, impermanent gift. Uh-huh. And I just, again, thought, right on, perfect, perfect. And that they would dance on it. I thought, again, that kind of acknowledgement, it's a simple thing, it's just a green dot, but that they would pick that spot as a nice place. And so they came. Yeah. So then later that year, you took that green dot to Burning Man. Right. Is that right? Okay, so how was, did you do that? I was talking, the reason I went into the Chick story is because I was talking with Chick about it. I said, Chick, I, I want to take a dot to Burning Man. I'm going out there. We've talked about Burning Man. And, and this is 2005. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I'm not sure how to do it. I mean, I can't paint the, 
I can't paint the the the, the playa. What am I going to do? And he said, "Oh, something like quit whining. You can you know how to do it. Just do it." Just get it out there. It was just not long before I said I was thinking about fabric, but uh, I mean, how can I do it? You know, and he's like, you know, just why are you bothering me with all this? Just do it. Just take it out there and do it. And I thought, wow, that's the kind of motivation that's really good. Someone who's not caught up in your conundrum. And then just say, whatever, go with your instinct and just do it. Take it out there. So I did. And what did you do? It was cloth. It was a big parachute. It was green. It was real simple. How'd you get the right shade? Took it and cut it. Well, that wound up, again, that wound up not being quite right mm. because it was a little bit more military. But there are green ones. There are different shade ones. So I picked a lighter, a little bit brighter of the shades. It wasn't as bright as I would like. Um, you know, took it, cut it to shape, uh, put grommets in it. Took stakes and staked it down. Had uh, four people come out and help me on a windy afternoon slash evening. And just put it down, and I was particularly thrilled because when I went to the arts camp, the uh, what do you call it, the Black Rock Arts, the artery, uh, the artery. Yeah. They had these little dots to put on the map for oh, where placement your pla- placement yeah. was going to be, and it, it was a green dot. <laughs> and I just really liked that. It was when we wrote the green dot and the green dot. And guess what? It was a green dot. <laughs> and now what kind of cre- space did you create there? Did people react to that dot? You know, I didn't really see, I didn't really see, notice anything. And it was so low profile, just put down on the playa. I saw people cruising by and such, but I didn't really see any uh, interaction particularly. So Okay, so that was Burning Man 2005. Right. Uh, and then what was the next incarnation? Then... The next incarnation was actually spawned by Luigi again. Full circle. Yeah, he came back, and I thought it was really interesting. He invited me to come and do a show with him at a gallery, which interestingly wound up being his last show. And he uh, invited me, and I told him, yeah, I'd like to do an installation. And I had been dreaming that I'd like to put a pulse into the dot. Actually, this comes into a whole other thing. I mean, we can just go on and on. I can tell you about Kazuaki Tanahashi, mm-hmm. who's a friend. He's a Zen artist. And he's been, been making circles for about 30 years. He came to this country and lives in Berkeley. And he's been here about 35, maybe almost 40 years. And he makes a lot of ensos, which are, is Japanese language for a circle, right? It's the, the brushstroke circle. That's, uh, that's his art? Empty in the middle. He makes other art as well, some calligraphy mm-hmm. and stuff. But he's done a lot of ensos called Miracle of Each Moment. He does a lot of them called Miracle of Each Moment. He has the names for them. And he's been doing them, I mean thousands of them, for years. He's a friend and a collaborator. And he, we started to talk about circles. Because essentially, because he invited me to help do an installation for a piece that he was doing. And and I talked to him about the dot, and he was really excited about it. And he's launched into this thing. What's the difference between a dot and a circle? Well, it's a sense of scale, I think. I think a dot, a spot, dot, scale, spec, all this stuff. Essentially, I think the definitions would tell you that a spot is an indication. A dot is, is, is a small presence in a place. A circle, of course, is when, the, it was when the dot enlarges and you can enter into it. A dot, a, a, a circle implies something more like there's an interior space you can enter into. The dot is more an attention, a point of a point of attention. It's more like a, there isn't a presence inside. I don't think it's usually big enough to enter into. 
But I don't see this so much as a circle. I see this as a really big dot. Okay. Because it's, it hopefully, hopefully it causes circles, people who form or or things that happen around it, okay. circle of friends, circle of in, circle of influence, all of that. But I see it as a dot because I see it being a really about saying I take my my attention, and I place it here. I locate a spot that could use attention, and I place my attention. I don't see that so much in my motivation as being something about entering into per se, mm -hmm. as much as calling attention. So you wanted it to pulse. I wanted it to pulse with light. Oh, so let me tell you. So cause we're talking about things. And he says, you know, the difference between the East and the West that's so interesting is that in the West, so much of your thought evolved from the Greeks and Pythagoras or whoever it was who started making perfect geometry. Golden made, ratio. Yeah. yeah. It's, this, it's, this, it's this ironclad perfection that you guys still struggle with. When you talk about a dot or a circle or any of these things, what you imagine in your minds, the first thing that comes is this perfect geometric entity. This line of no width, of no density, no imperfection. It's perfect. It's an exactly perfect circle that is entirely impossible in this world. It's a mental abstraction, completely devoid of meaning in the physical world. And yet, that's what a Western mind thinks of. We think of a, a, an impossible perfection. And then we work back from that, but always keeping that impossible perfection as our guidepost. And so we fail. Right? Anytime you put your hand down and you draw a circle, you're always judging it against this impossible, perfect geometry. He said an Eastern mind doesn't do that. He said the perfect circle in an Eastern mind is like an Enso. In the Enso, it's about how much pressure did the artist put? How much ink was there on the brush? Was the ink dry? Was it wet? How fast was the hand going? So it's about the individual it's circle? It's always about what happened in the trajectory of the dot of the circle. He said, in an Eastern mind, I can't verify this, I'm not an Eastern mind, right? I, but I really responded to his, I had to acknowledge, yeah, I do work back from that place, that perfect geometry, and try to make it perfect. And when I go into the natural world, I try to trace out that perfect geometry and fill it in. And I really don't have enough care, potentially, for how it's filled in. The process of filling mm. it in. I essentially want it to be perfect. Mm -hmm. That's my basic attention. intention. I want a perfect dot. So it's about the product and not the process. Right. And it's very little about process. And so we were having the, all this discussion about this, and, uh, and I just responded so personally to his critique. And he wasn't saying it necessarily as critique, but I felt it that way. So I thought, yeah, you're right. It's really, I'm really divorced. I'm really divo divorced from the, the physical reality of this life. I'm trying to do something for people in this world who are struggling, who have troubles, and yet I'm using this impossible geometry to express it. Disjunct. <laughs> right? Disjunct, eh? yeah. Where are you going to go? How are you going to get there? So I thought, oh my gosh, I have to figure out a way to make an imperfect circle every time. So you gave it a pulse. The circle should be imperfect. So then, yeah, then I decided to make it out of smaller parts. And then the shoes came. Like, why don't we use shoes? Because that represents, it kind of seemed like a very mundane human expression of something that could represent sort of the humanistic intention. And then I saw them pulsing. I felt like they should breathe. Okay, take us back to the shoes, because some people who don't know about this particular piece don't know about the shoes. The green shoes. This is the piece you asked me about, the next incarnation, which came to be the shoes. 
and the history of why they were the shoes, all this conversation with Kaz about imperfection, inherent imperfection in life and acknowledgement, and this thought, thoughts about wanting them to pulse, again, to talk about life, not to talk about some perfect, flat, geometrical Greek idea, but to bring it into life, to say, no, 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 this is life we're talking about here. This isn't a perfect Greek. So when Luigi said, hey, do you want to be part of this show? I said, yeah, and I know what I want to build. I want to build an imperfect circle of green for you this time, but that pulses. I wanted to pulse with life. And you did it with shoes. Right. Well, we did an installation at City Hall where I collected, I don't know, a couple hundred shoes <laughs> from friends, painted them all green, and then I invited people to come and choose shoes out of the back of my pickup. It was on a day. It was on April Fool's Day, actually. And uh, we met at City Hall downtown. I had people just wear the green shoes. The idea was that we just meet there, take off your own shoes, leave them at the truck, put on a pair of green shoes, walk around the neighborhood for 20 minutes, half hour, arrive at this spot in front of City Hall, walk into the circle, take off your shoes, and walk away barefoot. So then it became a performance piece. Right. That was performance, and that was about... That was the first incarnation of shoes. That was before the light hit the shoes. Oh, okay. And that was more... Yeah, that was more... It was called Green Shoes for Spring. And that was just about transforming ourselves from winter into spring and, you know, just walking around in the spring. Because it's spring. Because it's spring, mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you very much, Sano, for mm -hmm. coming to talk to Burncast. Um, before we wrap this up, I was wondering, on the uh, website, you have a poem that you wrote about mm -hmm. the pro. Is it about the project, or mm -hmm. what is this about? This is about the incarnation. This is the first shoe incarnation when we were wearing the shoes, and this was a welcoming of spring. This was to welcome us out of winter and uh, walk around City Hall. It seemed good to introduce spring into the heart of the city of San Francisco, and so we wore the green shoes around, the city and then arrived in front of the 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 uh, city hall there and left a green dot of shoes and we just left them there and walked away barefoot and it was wonderful actually there were evidently were huge parties down there that weekend and i heard weird tales coming in like i was in a rave downtown and there was this big circle of green <laughs> shoes down there and people had no idea i had anything to do with it <laughs> Percolated back to me, I thought, that's funny. What community do you live in when, people, when you're, you leave something? <laughs> and I thought, that's good. That's good. All right. So would you please read this yeah, poem? Yeah. yeah. So I made this to, to read to the people who came to walk in the shoes to kind of um, help us that morning to sort of come together. It says, come, harbingers of light. This day we call into being the spring, arrived in full body to propagate across the city the winding thread of new life. Breathe light from the sky and bring the lusty breath of daffodils and cherry blossoms to mind. In your wandering path, cause moss to swell and burst apart the cement of sidewalks and bricks. Cause the dainty heads of flowers to break down skyscrapers and parking garages in your wake. Let your steps rise up the eyes of birds still frozen on black branches of leafless trees. Call out the leaves. 
call out the songs. Call out the slime from half-dried slugs and snails. Bring out your ears to hear the new music playing through the grass, composing itself for the day when picnics will come. As you march, your triumphant green through the city streets cause windows to yawn wide and throw off their heavy drapes. Bring with you the racket to wake the trolley cars and municipal transport buses from their lair of winter dust saying, hello, wake up, wake up. I am green and at last I have come. That was Shano reading a poem he wrote for the Green Shoes for Spring installation in San Francisco for 2005. This project is coming to Burning Man in 2007. To learn more about Shano and to visit his website, just click on our show notes at burncast.net. Listening to Burncast, a podcast spreading the flames about the art, culture, and community of Burning Man. For more information, visit our website at burncast.net. To contact us, call the Burncast hotline at 206-350-1416 or leave us a message by clicking on the My Chingo audio recorder at our website. A very special thanks to Lector of NoSpectators.com for hosting these podcasts.